Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Pod Sash, your podcast discovery show. I'm Dax Holt. I am Alicia Renee. And we are going to jump right into it. We got Jake Halpern here with us. He is the host of Deep Cover, Mobland. It is a fantastic podcast, and we're going to jump into it. Jake Welcome to Pod Sauce, man. Thank you for having me. Of course. So, for someone who has never heard your podcast, is there a brief description that you can give of what it is, what they can expect from your podcast? So, my podcast, Deep Cover, is about people that live double lives, often people that go undercover. And the second season of my podcast is a story of a mob lawyer who inexplicably one day flips and decides to start working for the feds undercover. Um, I want to know if he ever disclosed to you if he just felt, what was it, what was that thing that made him say enough? Because the way he navigated that trial, uh, I, I don't want to go too much into detail because you guys really should check out the podcast. It was an interesting murder case. And he got the guy off. To me, I was like, you're just like them. Did he mm. never see himself as culpable? Uh, because he knew that the guy did it, and he got him off. Right. Yeah. So it's that's it's a, a great multi question. Sorry, I know that was a multi thing that I just gave you. My apologies. No, no, no. So let me just start by giving like a little bit of context. So this takes place, or the story starts in Chicago in the '70s, and this is like an unimaginably corrupt place. Right. Anything you, any outcome you desire in the court system, there's typically a way to hire a fixer and get off. It can be bought. Whether it's, yeah, whether it's paying a parking ticket, a speeding ticket, DUI, or as in the case you mentioned, a mob hitman is hired to kill someone, kills them, uh, and then Bob is brought in as the fixer in this case. And so what's interesting about this is up until that moment, Bob has been fixing kind of more small potatoes. Stuff. Right. And then he gets this break where this guy, Pat Marcy, who's basically the mob's guy in politics, he's the, the mob's politician. And he says to him, can you fix this? Can you help us fix this case? And so it's a big deal because it's a murder case. It's high profile. It's a hitman who killed a guy. But it's also an opportunity for Bob because if he can fix this thing, then he's the man because mm -hmm. it's such a high profile case. So back to your question, right? That's one of the things I asked Bob. I said, Bob, you fixed a murder case. You fixed a, like a case where a hitman killed someone. Um, 
And you knew he was guilty. You knew. Yeah, exactly. Multiple witnesses that are very, uh, what's the word? Um, They're impeachable. Yeah. He had, yeah, he had two eyewitnesses. Yes. Um, So the first thing I thought he might say is, you know, a kind of lawyerly explanation, like, well, we can't be 100% certain he was guilty or the case, you know, and, and, and he like straight up told me, Bob was like, nah, he did it. I knew he did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, that, so that's like, okay, so how do you justify that? And so here's how he justified it. He said it was a mob on mob killing. See, the victim was a teamster. He wasn't, it's not, not even really a mobster, but a teamster. And in Chicago, there, you have to understand, there was like a mob hit almost every week for a stretch of years. And so there was this whole way of thinking that Bob buys into that I find kind of hard to wrap my head around, which is that if it's a mob killing involving mob business, well, then it doesn't really count as a murder. And I push back about this yeah, a lot. Yeah, I was about to yeah, say, I'm I, like, yeah, because from my understanding, Jake, the guy in question who was the teamster, it's not necessarily that uh, he was a bad guy. He wouldn't play ball. He wouldn't, like, bend for the mob, if I understood it correctly, correct? That was what they thought at the time. That is correct. And then it turns out that wasn't even in the case. He was just, he. it, it had been kind of a, a family squabble mm-hmm. where someone in the family had been insulted and the hitman went out and 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 killed him so it wasn't even a mob right. a mob hit really. right and and actually it's interesting because when bob said that he found that out that it was a family squabble versus a kind of guy wouldn't bend he said oh i wouldn't have done it if i would have known that well we can debate whether or not that's <gasps> Thank true you. <laughs> but um and a lot of this is a lot of the podcast so bob's in hiding um, basically, now he lives in a place that I can't disclose. Fair. But a lot have of we, have we even mentioned that Bob Cooley flipped on the mob? I don't think. I don't, no, I don't we're, think so. we're getting we're getting there. I think. Yeah. I, I think that my first thing was I felt like Bob lacked culpability, you know. Yeah. And I, my question to Jake was just, did he ever disclose to you that thing that just made him be like enough? Because, like Jake mentioned early in the podcast, he literally went from small town potatoes, fixing tickets, fixing this, fixing that, to such an egregious murder that multiple witnesses, this was a family man, this was in front of his house. Like, uh, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, I think the um, the fact that he flipped on the mob obviously is secondary to the fact that I just, I heard no remorse at, at any point. There is no remorse. There, 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 there is, there really isn't any remorse. And I like, you know, I've interviewed, I've been doing, I've been working as a journalist for 25 years. I mean, sometimes you feel, you poke around and you feel the kind of elements of remorse. With this, there was times when I was, I was almost cross-examining him because I was probing for that. Like, Bob, you fixed a murder case. And he went on to fix a whole bunch of other cases. And what happens, just to kind of bring us up to kind of where we are with the, after getting the hitman off, right? He's like the man because they had two eyewitnesses. It was a high profile case. The paper, the press was all over it and the hitman walks. And this kind of becomes Bob's calling card in a way. Like if you could get this guy off with two eyewitnesses in a high profile heater case, who couldn't you get off? Mm. And for a number of years, he is the mob's man until one day, kind of out of the blue and inexplicably, he walks into this federal prosecutor's office and basically says to him, you may or may not know who I am, but I'm the mob's fixer. I know where all the bodies are buried effectively, and I can deliver the mob to you because I know their secrets. And the prosecutor, 
when I interviewed him, he said to me, I thought the guy was a nut. <laughs> I, I, I thought he like had a messiah complex. But then he has this great second bit where he says, but you know, who am I to say no to the messiah? Because it was so good. It was, it was like too good to be true, but it was so good that he had to consider the possibility that, it that was Bob true. was for real. But yeah. it made no sense to the point where when the FBI starts vetting him to see if this dude is for real, they're like, is he a mole? Is he like a double agent that the mob has sent in here? Has, is he dying of cancer? Because they couldn't figure out his motive. And until they could figure out the motive, they couldn't trust him. And so this question that you ask is basically the same question that the FBI and the prosecutors are asking throughout this entire process, because until it's resolved, there's not basically the bedrock of trust you need to, to launch an operation. So Jake, you, you know, you're having this conversation with someone who has been on the run for years and years and years from the mob. He flipped on them, then went into hiding. So Bob Cooley technically doesn't exist anymore, but you're having conversations with this guy. Number one, how did you come in contact with him? And number two, how do you stay in contact with him? Because he doesn't exist out there publicly. He moves from town to town after, every, every couple of years. So how, do you, how did you make this podcast? Yeah, well, it was random. I was talking to an FBI agent who had done undercover work in Chicago, and I actually was initially looking into maybe doing the story on him, and he mentioned Bob to me. And um, I said, well, how will I get a hold of this guy? And he said, well, I have his phone number. I can call him. This is this other FBI agent and see if he'll be willing to talk to you. And so I said, all right, you know, kind of not thinking it would really pan out. And then he got back to me and said, yeah, Bob will talk. And I figured, look, this is a mob lawyer. Um, this is a guy who survived by his wits. I quite honestly thought this was a guy who was going to ask me, either talk to me for 15 minutes or ask me for a ton of money neither of which would work for the podcast. And I called him out in this place where he lived and he talked to me for three hours. I think the initial conversation was on Skype and I recorded it. And I think I just got him at a moment in his life where he really wanted to tell his story because um, I remember it was my son's birthday and I had to tell, I literally had to say, Bob, we've been talking for three hours. Like my wife's got the birthday cake downstairs. I got to go, but that conversation continued for basically the next year almost until I finally went out and visited him in person. Um, and that was interesting because that changed my perspective on him in some important ways. Um, but that's how I did it. Uh, Jake, let me ask you, uh, with you speaking to Bob, and obviously Bob knows where the bodies are buried. Uh, if I were a part of the mob, I would be under the assumption you too now know where the bodies are buried. Do you ever feel the need to lock your doors extra tight and keep your head on the swivel? I mean, yeah, my, my wife asked me that question, you know, when we started, but I kind of think that two things. One, I think a lot of the people that Bob uh, turned on are, are dead uh, at this point, and it happened a while ago. So. I took solace in the fact that Bob hasn't basically been <laughs> killed yet to think that if, if um, I mean, obviously I'm, I, I live a more kind of in plain sight life. So I didn't, I didn't worry about it too much because I thought like, it seems like it had cooled off. Also, quite honestly, the mob is not as powerful as they once were because the truth is if the mob were as strong as they once were, even though Bob had 
flip 30 years ago, they would still kill him. Right. Because just, just because of what he principle, did. Yeah, right? for because sure. As, as long as he's walking around talking to me, he's basically thumbing his nose at the mob mm -hmm. and saying 1, like, I snitched and I lived, you right. know, basically. Um, or I, I testified, however you want to put it, and, and lived. So, um, yeah. I mean, did I look over our shoulder once or twice when I was out there visiting him? <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, is, is he nervous at all? Because he is now letting the mob know, I am still out here. I am alive. I mean, but with this much press and in a, a podcast that has done very well, I got to imagine there's people that are going, "Dang, he's out there. We need to go get him." Yeah, I mean, you would think so. I also think that like it, it speaks to like the way we assess risk as human beings, which is that when we initially are in danger or in a, a kind of dicey situation, our adrenaline's up, you know, it's like, imagine you're on a plane and you hit turbulence. For the first bit, you're like, oh man, it's really bumpy in here. And then an hour later, you're like back to watching Netflix and you've like, you've that's become your normal, the plane shaking. And I think for Bob, I would say that's played out over 30 years, which is that you can't live on, I don't think you can live on that level of high alert. And so there's a kind of like base level kind of acceptance of, of the maybe the danger that he's in because he seems oblivious to me to be honest with you jake um you know i want to ask about the judge mainly because you hear stories like like bob's it's uh definitely not uh one of one one of one of none is it one of none one of none you know what i mean Anywho, <laughs> it's, it's i'm like i don't know that phrase <laughs> well it happens and but you have a judge that at one point was just a very uh, honorable judge. He was very scrupulous and he just devolves and we listen to him being bought off. But we also hear him have like, he has more of a moral issue with what he's doing than the guy who's kind of like coaxing him down this road. Whatever happened to that judge? Because I do believe in one of the episodes, one of the last episodes I heard, he had a confrontation with Bob and he was like, you ruined me. But in my mind, I'm like, no, you ruined you because you yeah. took the money. Took Let's the start money. there. Yeah, you know, but it, he did seem to have more of a, a moral issue than, than Bob. Yeah, so it was a hard situation with the judge. This is the judge that presided over the trial that we mentioned earlier on, where yes. there was a hitman who was being tried for murder, and the hitman walked. Bob says, uh, I bribed this judge. And he had, he had some pretty strong corroboration that this had happened. Um, there were, but in the end of the day, I, I didn't have the judge to talk to, which was difficult. And so I did talk to his daughter in the podcast. Is the judge dead? Is he no longer with us? Yes. The judge By his is own dead. hand or age or? I'm not going to tell you. No. <laughs> Just it, it's, it's actually the climax of, and it's in the last episode I of the podcast. Yes. So, yes. Jake, yeah. hold on mm. after the show. I got to know. But I, yeah. I, I, to me, I feel like the way he was talking, um, yeah. and we'll talk off camera, I felt like he took himself out. I felt like this was, I feel like he took, he removed himself, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And it was, the judge's story is a, is a legitimately tragic story because by yeah. all accounts, all accounts, he was an upstanding and good judge. And we don't know what led him into this relationship that he had with Bob or what was going on with him at the time. And it's really hard when you're reporting on a story where the man isn't able there to talk to himself. I did talk to his daughter and, you know, she she feels that he's innocent. She holds on to the to the to the to the aspects of 
of evidence that she can that that indicate that maybe he didn't the version take the of bribe. her father that she knows, and that's exactly. very fair. And, and and um, yeah, and that was a, that's that's that was a hard that's that's the hardest part of the podcast is what happens to the judge and and Bob Bob cared about this guy. I know that it's odd because I think at times you can get the sense that Bob is just this completely cold blooded yeah guy because he was a mobbler and this and that. But there's two things I want to say about Bob okay. is that. Uh, I do think that he actually, the, the, the judge was a friend of his. And I do think that when the judge ends up dying, that, that Bob feels responsible. You asked me, does Bob feel remorse for what he's done in his, in his capacity as a mob fixer? And I think the answer is no. But did he feel some level of responsibility for what happened to his friend, the judge? I think the answer is yes, he cared about this guy. and. Um, there's a really emotional moment in the last episode of the podcast where Bob, actually, to my surprise, really gets um, emotional about how this all plays out with him. The other thing I'll just say about Bob, I, I do feel I have to put this in here. As as kind of frustrating as it was with Bob, when I would say, Bob, do you not feel remorse for the you know things you've done right. when you were a fixer? Um, I will say that when he does make the decision to flip, I can't think of many stories that I've reported on in my 25 years as a journalist of someone who showed more courage under pressure than Bob did when he wore the wire. And I think that like when you're fishing about for who this guy is, there's a lot of critics that Bob has and they are right to be critical in many ways. But one thing you can't take away from this guy is when, when he ends up wiring up against the mob, he does it in a way that is, uh, it just takes tremendous courage and he's damn good at it too and we can get to that so jake i want to know was there a moment where bob i mean bob was crazy successful he yeah. was living the high life yeah. rolling tons of money he was a big deal he flips and now he's running around the country hiding living in a one bedroom is yeah. there a moment where he says that he regrets flipping or in his mind this is how he would rather be where he's at now than living that double life a long time ago? Well, this is that, that's, that's a great question. And that, that, that is like the question that we build to at the end. And you're not gonna trick the answer out of me on this one. <laughs> but, um, but I will tell you this, when I was talking to him on Skype, which was for like nine months, you have to understand this is like, this was a crazy like version of like Skype pen pals or something, we were just, it was every week or every other week for three hours we would talk. And then finally, um, I was like, you know, I'm gonna come out and visit you. And so I flew out to where he's based and um, got a rental car and drove out to this little house where he is at the edge of the desert. And I saw where he was. And I think that, that, that Bob had kind of, he's very good at kind of painting and kind of all the kind of high life that he lived and all the excitement of which there was plenty. But when I saw him face to face, there was a different aspect of him that came out and he got, we kind of had this last conversation where when he was talking about where his life ended up, it got extremely emotional in a way that very much surprised me because he, he never went there before in our other conversations. And it was over this very question about, was it worth it, um, everything that you did? And how would you do it differently if you could go back? 
Um, and for that answer, make sure you check out Mob exactly. <laughs> Deep Cover Mobland. Deep Mob Cover Mobland. <laughs> you exactly. took it up for me. We are this, we, I'm telling you, we're the same person because I literally was about to say Deep Cover Mobland. Tune in to find out the answer. So, yeah. uh, Jake, you know, obviously I want to push people to listen to your podcast, but is there a podcast that you're listening to that you would push other people to go check out and listen? That's a good question. Um, well, I always like to listen to the This American Life um, uh, feed because they always have great stories. Um, I also, the last like really great podcast I listened to was Bear Brook. And what they do, I mean, it's a true crime podcast, but um, it's told with great humanity and um, and also it's just, it's odd. So what they do is, is they they find there's an unsolved murder in New Hampshire, and they find the there are these two bodies that are in barrels. Spectacular. Okay. And they basically work backwards to figure out who the victims were and who the killer was. And they, um, they do like, okay, here's what I love. I'm not giving you like a short, snappy answer, but I I do feel this must be said. With some of these true crime podcasts, you feel that it's just a kind of fetishizing of the crime. And it's just like you lose the human element of it. And what they did that was so powerful in that podcast was without just kind of reveling in the gore and the mystery of it, they also brought to life both the, the, the victims, but also the killer. And in fact, you eventually meet one of the killer's relatives. Mm. I think it's one of his kids. And you, they, it's like such a memorable moment because you can feel this person grappling with the issue of what does it mean to have this person as my father? Mm -hmm. And they've and maybe other people have tried to do that, but they did it in a way that was that felt profound to me. Anyway, I don't know how snappy that is, but it's a really good podcast. No, it sounds it sounds, it sounds good. really good. Yeah, it sounds yeah, we're very into it. good. I'm here for it. Uh, Jake Halpern, host of Deep Cover Mobland. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.